This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Will Aubrey and John Lowe's. Both men are committed to counting the raptors that fly over John Boyd Thatcher State Park each year during their fall migration to South America. Aubrey, who has led the Helderberg Escarpment Hawk Watch for more than two decades, is passing the torch, or perhaps the binoculars, to Lowe's, who just finished his term as chairman of the Audubon New York Council. Aubrey is interested in all kinds of migrating creatures, from hawks and hummingbirds to whales and butterflies. He has given his special needs students a sense of the wonders of nature by having them raised from eggs, monarch and painted lady butterflies. Well, the hawk watch and the hawk migration at Thatcher Park um, is the history goes on before my history. My history starts about 1950, coming to Thatcher Park, uh, Cub Scouts, family outings. I still remember watching that Frisbee sail over the cliff at a family picnic. <laughs> um, then I, I've been a teacher thir- for 35 years, um, a local BOCES, special education teacher. In the 1980s, I happened to be at Niskuna bi- bi- Bicycle Path, and a um, bird expert from the Hudson Bowock Bird Club conducting a bird walk. And I uh, joined them and saw a lot of hawks and was immediately captured. And I said, where can I get more of this? And he said, Thatcher Park and go there in September around the middle, the 15th. That's the peak of the hawk migration. I went up. The 14th it rained, the 15th it rained, this is about 1984. The 14th it rained, the 15th it rained, the 16th it rained. The 17th, I saw 970 birds in one day. 250 at one time came floating in on the thermals, hit the the deflection updraft, which is the significant part of Thatcher Park, over the flatlands, the birds fly on rising heat thermals, like hot air balloons. Thatcher Park is special because the winds hit the cliffs, rise up, and birds that are trying to conserve their energy can come in, float up without flapping their wings a couple thousand feet, tail off when the, the deflection current ends, and go to the next spot, on their trip to South America. They're going to Latin America, South America for the fall. The hawk migration runs from August to December. The peak again is the 15th of September. We don't understand, but I have charts that show there'll be a few birds, a few birds, and all of a sudden we'll get a thousand birds about the 15th. The thing that was significant that first year was we had storm The rain kept the birds in their trees. They were coming down from up north and they were bunching up waiting for the low to go through. Well, the low was the best it's been in two decades. It was a counter-circular low. The wind came from the northwest, perfectly hit the cliff. The wind, it's the best year Um, that day. I haven't had another day like that, but I keep going back just because it was so spectacular. But Uh, how how can you possibly count 250 birds at once? How do you figure that out? You practice. 
You uh, go on bird walks with the Hudson Mohawk Bird Club, and they will teach you about t- um, counting groups. You do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty. 30, 40. A good way to practice is when you see Canada geese going over. Count 10, then measure that amount, and then go 10, 10, 10, 10. And then when you get to 100, you can do groups of 100. It's rare that we have groups of 2, 3, 4, 500 at a time, but we do. And what we'll do is we'll do those groupings when we count, and we'll also have John will be counting, I'll be counting, Marion Soule, who is another birder from another bird club, uh, Tom and Colleen Tom and, uh, Williams from the Hudson Mark Bird Club. We have a couple of other people, and we each do our counts, and we usually come in pretty close to each other. So then you kind of average the results. As um, you- yeah, yeah. Yep. And who are these people? How do you get people to volunteer to do this? They're, I'm not a birder. I'm a raptor enthusiast and a citizen scientist. Um, these guys are birders. Audubon, Hudson Mohawk Bird Club. Um, they run a hawk watch each year themselves. It's done at a local private place further up the mountain from Thatcher Park, but it's, uh, it's a very small place. They can't get more than a couple of cars there. In the 90s, I used to do that with the bird club. One day I went up, I was the 13th car, and I left and I needed to find a better place where we could get more people. Thatcher Park was perfect. So I've been doing Thatcher Park ever since. But it's local birders around here. We get 3,000 people in September visiting, and a lot of them are Hudson Mohawk Bird Club members and patrons of the park. So So if someone's listening to this and is intrigued and thinks, I'd like to do that. How would they sign up or how would they know where to go? www.hmbc.org, Hudson Mark Bird Club. Tell them Will Aubrey sent you. John, give them your numbers. Uh, If you wanted to uh, sign up to learn how to be a, a hawk watcher, you could also email me at president at Southern Adirondack Audubon.org uh, is the best way to get a hold of me if you want to sign up. Okay. So, Will, you were showing us before we started recording this wonderful chart that gives the. Marcello, maybe could you just handle that chart so it's in the. Because so many of us can recognize, hey, that's a big bird and it's gliding. I bet that's a hawk. But we don't have any easy clues ah, to tell the okay. different kinds. If you could kind of just run through this chart and tell okay. us what we the, would look for. The thing about it is, I always, people interested in learning about birds, I recommend get a good pair of binoculars and get a Peterson field guide. It's one of the oldest that changed the birding world. They're ex- Peterson. Peterson Eastern Bird Field Guide. Um, really good. The, the thing about, there's only about a dozen hawks. These are what we call diurnal raptors, diurnal birds of prey, daytime. We don't get into owls. The Thatcher Park Nature Center will tell you about owls. But the Peterson Field Guides, Peterson makes one field guide 400 pages long. It's just about warblers, little birds. I'm 75 years old. 
a dozen birds. I still don't know all of these because there's male, females, there's juveniles. But the thing about these birds is these are the three main migrants we get through Thatcher Park. Hawks, beautios, chunky birds, chunky tail. The main one we know around here is a red-tailed hawk. They stay around in the wintertime. Red-shouldered, we get a few coming through, but they're chunky wings, chunky tails, and these birds soar. They can lift on the, the air and float. They hunt by look, they hunt for mammals, reptiles. The bird that comes through here mainly in the middle of September is a broadwing hawk. It's a little bit smaller than a reptile. This looks very much like it. Chunky wings like this, they soar. If they can get lift out of the air, you won't see them flapping very often. At the other end, fast birds, falcon, fastest bird in the world, pointed wings, pointed tails. Very fast, aerodynamic, small, medium, and large. Kestrels, the little birds, uh, a little bit about uh, blue, blue jay size. Merlin up in the pigeon range and peregrine falcons. And we have some around here. We have some down on the Mohawk River or the Hudson River down near Albany. And um, one of the studies that was done um, to reintroduce them after we had the DDT uh, destroyed their eggs was done around here by a Barbara Laux of um, uh, State Environmental. And uh, so we have these around. Now, what you get is in between fast flying birds, floating birds, is these chunky wings. This is great. And long aerodynamic tail. And Three miles out, you look with your binoculars. You can't see what color it is. You can't see much, but you see flap, flap, glide. Flap, they do flap, flap, glide. And that will be one of these guys. Small, medium, and large birds. And they, um, these are the birds that come and get only the sick and stupid at your bird feeders. They chase birds. They can fly sideways through the woods chasing other birds. This is the smallest one of it, most common at your bird feeder. They usually come around your bird feeders at the same time every day and take out the birds that are gonna pass diseases uh, to other birds. Cooper's hawk a little bit bigger, maybe Ratio of one to ten for every hundred sharpies, you'll have a Cooper's uh, ten Coopers and maybe one big goshawk. But they're very fast birds. They can go in the woods. Beautios are soaring birds and so bird, red tail hawks. You'll see them sitting along the highways, sitting on edges of, of trees. Um, and falcons are fast birds that take birds out of the air. Well, thank you for that primer. <laughs> That'll help us all as we look at the sky and see these shapes. Um, also, I wonder if you can, you had told me and showed me a map earlier. You explained a little bit, I don't know if the map is handy, about how the point at Thatcher Park where you're looking is further west than the migration coming down the coast. And so it's a useful point for the people that are collating this information. Okay. Well, okay. Um, we are part of the Thatcher Park, uh, the Hildeberg Escarpment Hawk Watch is part of Hamanitz, the Hawk Migration Association of North America. And the Northeast section of that from the Hildeberg Escarpment East all the way up to Maine is called the Northeast Hawk Watch. 
It's one group. I send my numbers into both of those associations. Helderberg Escarpment is the westernmost of all the Hawkwatch sites that go from Central Park in New York City up to the tip of Maine and all the way along the Connecticut coast. All the bird uh, migration sites are in one group up here. We are the westernmost and we act as a gauge for what numbers from the northeast are migrating west to go toward um, sort of along the upper border of Pennsylvania and divide among the other birds that migrate south along the Atlantic coast, Cape May. October Columbus Day weekend is a great weekend to be in Cape May. Our birds are following the water line down, and Cape May is probably the oldest um, Hawkwatch site that I know of. They publish the earliest bird manuals. They have paid counters there who would answer your questions. They also have a paid monarch butterfly counter there. That's the job I wanted. Monarch, <laughs> while we're doing these migration counts at Thatcher Park, we also count monarch butterflies. We do a, a rough census, the birders do, of hummingbirds. They migrate. Um, we even have a, a gentleman who comes who I started with in the 90s, uh, Larry Fetterman. He is also with Audubon, and he is a specialist in dragonflies. And when he comes and, and does a presentation, he puts up a dragonfly poster, and the dragonflies that come up over the Thatcher Park escarpment will stop and move up and look at his poster before they <laughs> they're flying off. They migrate a few hundred miles. So we, we do counts on all of those things too. So tell us the purpose of these counts. You have here charts with, you know, rows and rows of numbers for each kind of hawk and they're tallied up and then they're sent, as you just ex described to us, to these two organizations, the Hawk Migration Association of North America and the Northeast Hawk Watch. What what are they used for? Why are they useful? Okay. Well, it's environmental monitoring. What I should tell you is our next festival is going to be September 11th at Thatcher Park. The peak is the 15th. I always do the festival the weekend before. And we have a wildlife rehabilitator who does the educational part of this. She brings her birds. Her name is Rochelle Ford. She does a great job, and she answers your question. She tells about the the numbers, what numbers are going up, what numbers are going down. It, it tells us how our environment is, just in terms of birds. The Hudson Mohawk Bird Club, there are members of that who do sense, population census of, of ducks, of geese of other migratory birds for the uh, federal government. We want to keep track of this. Um, some of the numbers are going up. A lot of our numbers are going down. It's our environment. And these guys are monitors. You can look at some of our charts over the years, and you can see some of our numbers are going up. Some of them are going down. <clears throat> some of them are broad-wing hawks. Sometimes the numbers may just mean a difference of the winds. Maybe they deflected our birds over uh, Franklin Mountain in Oneonta, which is another hawkwatch site western from us. They tend to have more eagles. They have uh, eagles follow rivers when they migrate. They like water. They like fish. So 
uh, John and I went there two years ago. That is a great place to go if you want to see eagles. And it's a little bit later in the season. You can go there in later September and October and see eagles up close and personal. So from what you've been saying, it sounds to me like there are at least two purposes to this hawk watch. One seems to be gathering this data to monitor what's happening to the environment, but the other seems to be to educate and enlighten people and have them understand what... That was... You just read my mission statement that I had written up for here. Okay. Um, I'm a specialist. My grandmother was a teacher for 65 years. My dad for 35 years. My sister for 30 years. I taught for 35 years. My family is teachers. We wanted to educate. It's come to Thatcher Park during the fall and look at the birds. It's free. It's a thrill. It is <laughs> thrilling. And John is going to see how many people he can enlist. So there'll be more there. We're trying to have a sign made up of all the information that we usually dispense to people so that people 365 days a year, we'll be able to get the information that Thatcher Park and the Thatcher Park Overlook is a specific, special place, significant in the environment, and it's free. And these birds, you'll see bald eagles going over. We get golden eagles going over. And a little sign that tells people what they're looking for, um, and it's there every day. So. Yeah, well, it's... It's amazing how you can live in a place and see these creatures and not know what they are. And just having that chart and being able to put names to them gives you a sense of maybe not ownership, but at least um, I'm trying to think of the Mary Oliver line from the poem. It's um, uh, attention is the beginning of devotion. You know, if you pay attention to what what these creatures yeah, yeah. are, you might start to realize their importance. And I'm wondering if I could segue to John now. No, go One ahead. One thing will. that will help you yeah. is there are local resident raptors at Thatcher Park, and there's usually about a dozen turkey vultures. When you go up there, there are birds soaring back and forth along the cliff edge, and they fly in a V like this. Their wings are in a V. And they spend all day. And my the I have a theory du jour up there. My theory is that they act as um, welcome wagons. These birds migrating through see these birds soaring from way out there. And they come in, they get a free ride. So most likely, most of the year when you go up there, you're going to see local turkey vultures soaring back and forth, a couple of local red-tailed hawks. And ours are very special. They seem to have... Not all red-tailed hawks have red tails. The young ones don't get their red tails till later on in their first year. But ours tend to have a little white patch on the lower back. That's often identification for a harrier hawk. And we've had other people who knew about harriers who come, that's a harrier. Ours tend to have that on there. So when you see the birds... Wait, you're saying that the red-tailed hawks at Thatcher Park have the white patch that's typical of a harrier? Yeah. Oh, I wonder it's why just that... The way our birds are, I don't know what it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's Birds are regional. There are two or three different kinds of red-tailed hawks. There's a light morph and a dark morph. That's why I say it does some birds, but there's adults look different than juveniles, may... Female, females look different than males. How so? You'll love this. Okay. <laughs> females in 
diurnal raptors and in butterflies are larger. They do most of the work. <laughs> I do love that. I know many bird species, it's the males that are so showy. Like you can always spot a male cardinal, yep. but the females yep. tend to have more subdued colors. Yep. But I hadn't realized the females are larger. Yep, they'll be larger. Isn't that yep. interesting? If you see pairs in the spring when you see pairs of red tails or other mm-hmm. birds out, and uh, maybe they're doing their, their mating dance and things, the, the larger one is usually the female. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Very okay. interesting. Sorry to interrupt. No, this is <laughs> fascinating. What I was going to ask John, because I was segueing from your idea yeah. about the counts going up and down, and I know it was a big environmental success story with the the symbol of our country, the eagle, when they banned DDT because the eggs had been cracking and they were going extinct and they've now come back so that's you mentioned ddt with another kind of hawk so that would be on the plus column but i read this really alarming study in science journal about the decline of north american avifauna and the numbers were just stunning it said in the last half century north america has lost 29 percent of its birds and these aren't the ones that we think about the rare ones that we know are in danger trying to protect but just across the board the sparrows the finches the so why should we care why why are birds important besides for people that love and know birds like you do i mean why are they essential to our environment well, speaking uh, to uh, songbirds that you mentioned, uh, a lot of songbirds that do migrate with hawks, such as flycatchers, there's a lot of birds that are pretty good at taking care of our insect population uh, as one, one thing that's really good. Uh, losing one piece of an ecosystem or a severe decline of a, uh, an animal and an ecosystem will disrupt the balance of that ecosystem. So if you lose 29% of your birds, uh, you're going to lose that balance. And so one type of animal will uh, explode. We might have many more insects, which might be a problem for uh, the, the trees and the flora. You know, maybe a lot of those trees and flora may be eaten up too much by insects. So that's just one example uh, of why we really need birds. Uh, birds also, they distribute uh, when they eat berries, let's say off of a tree, they're able to distribute those ber- berries and the uh, after effects of them <laughs> to other <laughs> uh, to other places to say keep a forest healthy. You want a forest, uh, let's say for forest birds that. Uh, You want a forest that's layered. You want a multi-story forest that has shrubs underneath uh, a lower story uh, trees and then higher story trees. And the more diversity of a forest, you have higher diversity of birds and mammals and all kinds of animals. So that's just a couple general reasons. So are there things that we can do either as a society or as individuals to reverse this trend because the graphs that they had in this study, it was just, it was a plummeting downward line. Um, You know, do you have any thoughts or recommendations or ideas either on 
national policy that would be important or on things individuals can do to reverse that? Uh, well, as far as what you can do within your uh, on your property, you can create more habitat uh, for birds, uh, more shrubs and native plants, native shrubs uh, that would uh, be a good place for birds to find food, to find shelter. A lot of these migrating birds and even these Cooper's hawks and sharp shinned hawks that uh, uh, Will mentioned they uh, will be flying through, let's say, neighborhoods, and they need a place to find food. A lot of times, those are songbirds, <laughs> um, but they also need that shelter uh, to be able to uh, be safe from other predators and, and from the environment. Uh, so, planting native plants uh, and using really not using pesticides on your lawns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the yeah. least amount of yeah. pesticides yeah. you could use. Yeah. There's other ways that you can- Natural solutions. Na yeah. There's natural yeah. solutions yeah. to yeah. be able to do that. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, DDT really decimated the populations, making the eggs of bald eagles, of osprey, of peregrine falcons, very thin, and that's and that's the reason why uh, they were having a lot of failed nests. There wasn't a lot of fledglings being born. Uh, so banning DDT, banning really any pesticide, <laughs> um, really is something that try not to use that on the ground level at your home uh, where you are. As far as policy goes, it, you know it never hurts to write your council member your. A legislator and saying, hey, look, I really care about the environment. I really have seen this uh, Audubon report. It was a, a collected report of, um, I think it was, um, uh, oh gosh, I forget the name of it, but it's uh, survival by degrees. So uh, that report collected data over many, many decades to be able to get those numbers you quoted about a significant decline of birds. So we need to uh, write to our local legislators and state legislators and our federal government <laughs> senators to say, hey, look, I support climate legislation. I really care about the environment. I really want you <laughs> as a legislature to support those bills that will reduce uh, carbon uh, gases and 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 um, uh, climate climate uh, forgive me climate um, um, increasing climate change climate change yeah, yes uh, thank you yes, I, I, and we're I, seeing all the terrible effects on the weather now it's right I appreciate you because it's it's a very it's a passion for me so I get a little uh, tongue tied when I start well, talking yeah. about it so native plants is important. And for people who want to know more about all the things John said, Audubon runs programs. The Emmett Treadwell Nature Center at Thatcher Park runs a list of programs. Thatcher Park has probably a dozen programs a month that you can come out and they will show you things. They will answer your questions. Uh, they will show you different animals if you're interested. If you like hawks, owls, um, reptiles. Um, the Hudson Mohawk Bird Club runs great programs to educate people around here, what we have around here and the issues around here in different specific areas. Uh, we have some great groups here and great ways to get information and to have a good time. It's how I started. 
started. This was one day back in the nineties, <laughs> and I. So, Will, what kept you? What kept you at it for more than twenty years? What? Why? Why did you do this for so long? Oh, well, it's a well, volunteer the, the, post, right? The, I mean, you're not getting paid for this. The the education back in the in the nineties. I was teaching at Bot Hills School in Latham, and I was getting ready to do the Hawk Watch down here at Thatcher Park, and I stepped outside my classroom, and there was an osprey flying over, and I went out with my binoculars and found out that I could see Thatcher Park from this spot in Latham near, near Bot Hills, and I made my classroom a nationally recognized Hawk Watch. We did our curriculum. This is special education kids who they didn't have a good time in school. They were challenged and they had a difficult time. Well, they started in my class the first day they walked in and there was a, would be a jar with a monarch butterfly with a monarch caterpillar there would be a pair of binoculars and a clipboard and a sheet from the Hawk Migration Association of North America. And for the month of September, they raised butterflies and we counted hawks. And the rest of the year was wonderful. And I still have kids coming back to the Hawk Watch from 20 years ago. Oh, so, that's uh, wonderful. It's, just, it's thrilling to see these birds. And I, I still, when we're standing at the cliff and uh, an eagle comes over, I scream eagle. Oh, <laughs> uh, beautiful. <laughs> Well, you said right now you're involved in painted ladies that we're talking about a butterfly here. You know, how what are you doing with painted lady butterflies? Um, Used to be some years I I would start the the school year. um, I like to have my classes oriented around outdoor education. Uh, things the kid can do, things the kids can see. Um, I would start the year with um, monarch butterfly caterpillars, raising them, milkweed, if it's a good year. Some years I, some years I had 300 caterpillars. Those were very good years back in the 70s and 80s. Some years I don't find a dozen. I do not grab them when there are that few, when it's a good year. This is a very good year for milkweed, and I'm just starting to see monarchs, but unless I see more, I don't go near them. In those years when I don't have enough monarch butterflies and it's a not good year, um, I do monitor them from a website called journeynorth.org. It's a school-related website, and they monitor monarch butterflies, whooping cranes. You can go on there and study humpback whale migrations, hummingbird migrations. So I go on and see what the numbers are. I can enter my numbers on there if I want. It's a great website. Um, If I don't have them, there's a place called insectlore.com. In the 70s, there was a catalog of about 60 pages long, a gentleman in California. Um, It all has to do with uh, insect and biology uh, things for kids. Now there's no 60 page catalog. He has one website and he will send you painted lady caterpillars in a jar with the food. There is nothing to do. No waste, no cleanup. You'll get five caterpillars. I don't get anything from them. I still send for my own, but I get the jars. There's every butterfly 
has a caterpillar stage, egg, caterpillar, chrysalis, butterfly. The caterpillars, this is really neat, all the caterpillars of all the butterflies eat different food, so they don't compete. Monarch butterflies eat milkweed. In the wintertime, I do monarch butterflies at the Miami Beach Botanical Garden in Florida, and they have giant milk. There's 140 different kinds of milkweed. They have a giant milkweed bush there that I have found 36 caterpillars and chrysalises on this, and I do presentations for people. I stand there and tell them, here they are. When I don't have monarch butterflies, I do painted ladies. Vanessa Cardui is the Latin name for them. They're ubiquitous around the world. I apologize for doing this, but there is a public broadcasting video. It's entitled Sex, Lies, and Butterflies. I apologize for the name, but <laughs> it's an hour video, and half of it is about the painted lady migration from Africa to Northern Europe, 9,000 miles round trip, triple what monarch butterflies. Our monarch butterflies in September are going to go from here to Mexico, and it's actually longer because they don't fly a straight line. The painted ladies fly up into Northern Europe, Spend some time there and they come back down and some of them get caught up in the jet stream and are flying at 20,000 feet to go back to finish their migration back down to Africa. That is that video. You contact um, Insect Lore, they will send you the jar. Painted ladies specialize in thistle different brand. Um, there are swallowtails that specialize in carrots and fennel. Each butterfly seems to fo the caterpillars need that food. No milkweed, no monarch. So as John was saying, people doing habitat, if you have milkweed, cultivate it. The more milkweed, the more monarch butterflies. Vanessa Cardui painted ladies eat thistle. Somebody figured out how to cultivate agar, the biological medium that they use for strep to grow, how to cultivate that with thistle. They put it in a jar, they put five caterpillars in it, put the lid on and they will send it to you from insect lore. They give you a little booklet, you can get a pop-up uh, thing with, it's made of bridal veil, it's called a flight cage, it pops up. You keep them in the jar. Don't let them near this uh, bright sun. In a week to 10 days, those caterpillars will hang on the lid. They give you a little thing like a matchbox with a slot. You take the lid off, you put it in there. Again, nothing to clean, nothing to feed. You take that, you put it in your flight cage. Keep it out of direct sun for a week to 10 days. In a week to 10 days, you will have painted lady butterflies in there. When they come out, they expand their wings, they drip a little bit of this loose liquid, and their wings hang like drapes for about an hour. When the wings are flat and they're like this, take your thing outside. They don't have to all have come out. Take it outside, reach down in, put it on your shoulder. It would be beautiful on that. And you can have, I have cooked dinner with them on my shoulder. If you're the first ones there, when they come out, they think you're mommy. And they will stay there and walk around for about an hour. They're going to drip a little bit of blood blister. But I did have a lady who was getting married, had a wedding at the Miami Beach Botanical Garden, and we had butterflies coming out, and she didn't care. The monarch butterfly that had just come out dripped on her 
white wedding gown and she loved it. And she had all these pictures. The whole bridal party had their picture taken with these monarch butterflies that just come out. Any butterflies that have just come out, if you take them and put them on you, you can have your picture taken with them. And that's the event. And I like to do that with people so they know more about butterflies. And then the butterflies just fly off. They are ubiquitous around the world. So we're not unbalancing the population. So the painted ladies that are here, yep. where where do they migrate to? They're, they will migrate south from here. I see. Okay. They don't have special places like they go, like the monarch. Right. People ask me, how do the monarchs know that little guy with a brain like that can ours in September will find this little place smaller than the town of Altamont in the mountains in Mexico, and they all go back there. It's one of the things that gets me to go to church. <laughs> it, it, I, um, it's like looking at the stars. I cannot fathom how they do it. The, I, GPS, I couldn't find Mexico. Yeah, um, it's but just that's amazing. another population that's in sharp decline, yes, yes, right? Yep, so yep. more heed needs to be paid. Yep. Yeah, and we certainly have written this newspaper tons about the Carner Blue, and they need the lupin. Yes, um, yes. And so preservation is the there, key. There was to a our gentleman, Vladimir Nabokov, did us. Uh, did some work on the Carner Blues. And one of his old books has a picture, a map of the eastern United States. And in that book, the range of the Carner Blue was almost continuous from New Hampshire to Ohio. Continuous. That meant the, the, the host plant for them um, was in all of that area. Now think about it. We just have a few places now here in Saratoga. What a difference. And uh, yeah, it's about habitat, like he said. Well, our time has flown, oh. <laughs> migrated. Do you two have any closing thoughts to leave our listeners with? September 11th this year will be my last festival day. We'll be doing day, um, Hawk Watch for another week or two after that. And after that, it's this guy. And he's already taken some of it and put it on uh, Audubon website, going electronic. Um, it's going for me, and it's going to soar. And what I say at the Hawk Watch is keep looking up. It's all yours, John. <laughs> Thanks, Will. As you can tell, the, the, the Will's energy and, and excitement <laughs> is the thing that got me into the Heldeberg Escarpment Hawk Watch and why I want to take over and, and humbly take over for Will uh, to continue this Hawk Watch and to grow it. So that's one reason why we want to hear from you out there. If you're looking to learn more about hawks or butterflies and want to count contact us uh, at those emails. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing how we can grow uh, the Hawk Watch at a new kiosk up at the park that is more uh, up to date for how people can look at hawks and recognize them by their silhouettes. And, uh, and we're going electronic, as Will says. Uh, I set up the the Facebook page a couple of years ago, and we're gonna start adding more and more of our data electronically uh, to uh, sending it to Hamana and other Hawk Watch. He has already met with the new director that won't be on there. But. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and we have a great relationship with 
Thatcher Park. Uh, I met with them, and he is very supportive. Thatcher Park is very supportive of the Hawk Watch and wants to grow it as well. Uh, he sees us as an asset, and all of us, with the Alan DeVoe Bird Club, Hudson Mohawk Bird Club, Audubon Society of the Capital Region, and Southern Adirondack Audubon Society, our four local bird groups basically make up this Heldeberg Escarpment Hawk Watch. And so we together want to grow this. So I'm looking forward to taking it forward and growing it. And some better shirts. Uh, yes. <laughs> I love Coming out with a logo. I'm looking to come up with an official logo and uh, all of those things that grow a nonprofit. The day, hopefully we will become a nonprofit someday. So I'm looking to work towards that. Great. Thank you both. Thank you. And we'll Thank keep you. looking Thank up. You, yeah. It's all yours, <laughs> man. <laughs> Thank you. The handoff. <laughs> Thank you.